All right. And ladies and gentlemen, we are now back. It's the Soybean Pest Podcast. This is episode three, season 11. My name is Matt O'Neill. And on the screen with me is... Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Hodson. And today we're going to have a special guest. We'll reveal that special guest later. But first, let's go through our usual rundown of topics, Erin. Okay. Let's talk about pest uh, pest updates for soybean. And what the heck, let's throw in corn too. Okay. Well, today is May 22nd. And so as far as I know, my best guess is people around Iowa have pretty much wrapped up planting corn and they're very nearly completed with uh, planting soybeans. So that's great. We are slightly behind in growing degree days. So plants are really trying to catch up with germination and having that vigorous growth that we like to see during May. Um, With plants resuming growth, we have some insect activity to think about as well. And some of that I'll share when we bring in our very special guest. But um, one thing that, yeah, the big reveal um, that I, estimate with degree days every year is is soybean aphid egg hatch. And you may know that the the eggs overwinter on a shrub called buckthorn and they the, the eggs hatch based on accumulating degree days. So I'm expecting egg hatch to be complete. And of course I think most of the buckthorn I think we have in Iowa is uh, north of I-80 mainly. And just from our casual observations, Matt, um, we haven't seen any aphids this year and your walkabouts around Ames. Is that true? Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, Evi Air Valmor, <laughs> Evi Air uh, Valmorbita. Oh, I messed that one up. But anyway, he's our PhD student, uh, and he's been doing some walks around Ames to investigate if there are any aphids on buckthorn. I've been doing the same. You know, buckthorn, by this point, the leaves are out and fully formed. But the aphids, if they're there, they're going to be very few. And so it's a bit challenging for a big, bushy, tree-like plant to find tiny little aphids. Uh, But we continue to look um, to see if there's anything there to give us some insight as to the timing of aphid development on buckthorn and what that might mean for movement to soybeans later this season. I think you're right about the abundance of buckthorn being greatest above I-80. Uh, we've done some work on this in the past, doing some modeling to see where buckthorn is most common in the United States. And it's really abundant uh, to the north of us in parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin. That seems to be where most of the buckthorn is found in this part of the United States. However, you can find buckthorn everywhere. And there was a buckthorn breeding program at Iowa State for many years. And so little patches of it exist throughout the state. It's not that hard to find uh, in parks and field edges. Uh, Anywhere there's some uh, woody uh, habitat, it'll be along the the edge of that habitat. Yeah. And so it it doesn't necessarily mean one way or the other as far as aphid populations later in the summer, but there are those folks that really like to scout out and find those aphids on buckthorn every year. And so if you see it, you might see some aphids on there. There may or may not be soybean aphid. Yeah, that's true. There is another aphid that is found on buckthorn, the buckthorn aphid, and it overlaps. A little bit smaller, not as as noticeable, but it's there. And then in addition to that, uh, there's bean leaf beetle that is 
the hungry, hungry stage of overwintering now. So if you have soybean fields up, you're likely to see bean leaf beetles on some of the unifoliates or early vegetative plants. And these are the adults that survive the winter. They're going to do a little feeding before they reproduce legs in the soil and generate I think a, so. the first true generation of this year. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other best updates? Yeah. We, uh, our special guest and I went on an adventure yesterday in central Iowa. So at some point I'd like to bring her in and we could talk about what we found. Ooh, maybe time? now's the time. Okay. Oh. All right, this is exciting. This is our first time doing this. Uh, we're gonna try this for our listener. This is um, a little bit of a technical reach for us. We're gonna try to bring in a third person and we're doing this through Zoom. So we apologize if the sound isn't great. Sounds good to us. So hopefully it'll sound good to you. You and always sound good. Oh, thank you too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our special guest, uh, a little bit of background. She is um, native Iowan. She is a two-time graduate of Iowa State University. She got her bachelor's in agronomy and then recently got a master's in entomology at Iowa State University. She was co-advised by none other than two Us. of us. Yeah. 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 And she did such a great job that uh, we couldn't let her go. Well, you couldn't let her go. I didn't want to let her go, no. And so mm, now she is a, uh, an official employee under your supervision. What's her title? Oh man, I think technically it's extension program specialist, but there's a lot of names and they're all changing this month, which kind of makes it more confusing. But um, I would say program specialist in extension well, for entomology. That, mm -hmm. that name may change, but this name will never change. It will always be at the top of our list for just excellent entomologist, agronomist, uh, Let's bring her out, Ashley okay. Dean. Hi, Ashley. Hi, I'm so happy <laughs> to be here. You guys make me so special. <laughs> Matt, is good. Matt is good with the compliments, that's for sure. So we thank you for taking time to join our podcast. Like Matt said, we don't often bring in special guests. We've only done that occasionally, and it's been face-to-face. -face. So this is our first attempt with Zoom. Thank you. So, so Ashley, do you want to recap kind of our uh, insect hunting adventure yesterday? What was going on? Yeah, so a field agronomist in central Iowa called us out to a field, a cornfield, where she thought that there were a lot of grubs and wireworms in the soil. So Aaron and I got really excited because we got a chance to see a lot of grubs and we went and it wasn't very hard to find grubs in this field. Um, we just had to dig maybe a couple inches in the soil and we found all kinds of grubs. Um, they were pretty varied in size so that most of them were pretty small. I can't really estimate how big they were, but up to like a medium sized grub. Mm -hmm. And we would, I think we estimated maybe one or two grubs per square foot um, in that field, but we were unable to locate any wireworms, which was a bummer for us, maybe good for the farmer. So, so Ashley, if my, if my memory is right, uh, the field agronomist, Megan Anderson, went to the, visit that field, not because of grubs, um, maybe questions about germination, um, missing, missing plants, or, you know, a lot of gaps in the stand. Is that right? Yeah, I think the farmer's 
major concern was some germination issues because mm -hmm. did a different hybrid in the border rows and the rest of the field. And he was seeing a lot of uneven emergence. Yeah, just like stand issues seemed like gaps and we we definitely saw that. So. so as Megan was kind of digging around just to see how, you know, if germination was poor or something else was going on, she just happened to scoop up a lot of grubs and she's like, I know two people that will get excited about this. So we, we went to visit yesterday and, and you're right, it was easy to find them. I would say small, medium size grubs. It didn't look like they were necessarily feeding on the corn roots. Um, the corn, like you said, very uneven, but it didn't appear to have any root damage from the grubs. So I'm not exactly sure what they were feeding on because there wasn't a lot of other types of vegetation in the field. But yeah, so that was a, a fun visit. Um, I've been hearing from other field agronomists uh, north of I-80 also seeing some, it's easy to find grubs. So as they're checking plant stands, they were just, you know, happen to see some, some grub activity. And that's pretty typical for this time of year when the early vegetative corn is to see some grub feeding. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. I'm jumping back in here. Yeah. Uh, a callback to our lap last episode. We talked about wireworms as yep. part of our trivia question. Um, I'm curious that, Ashley, you said when you went out to the field, you were looking for evidence of grubs and wireworms. And I'm curious if uh, you would have expected to see different damage between the, uh, between these two pests or from, you know, the perspective of somebody walking into a field, would you be able to differentiate corn or soybeans that's damaged by wireworms versus that damaged by grubs? Uh, and this it, is where you talk. It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, from my experience, I think wireworms can damage the seed. So they can be feeding very early in the season and can actually chew through the seed before it germinates. I'm not Sure, and maybe Ashley can can back me up on this. If grubs can do the same thing, or if they're mainly root feeders. Yeah, from what I understand, they're mainly root feeders. So I would have expected some root feeding, which you noted that we did not see. Um, and then when we were digging up plants, I didn't see much damage to the seed either, and we definitely didn't see any wireworms. So. Yeah, um, back to what you said, I think we would have been looking for different below ground symptoms, but maybe the above ground symptoms might have been the same. Smaller plants, some wilting, that sort of thing, or completely dead plants if wireworms ate through the seed. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Thanks for uh, helping us connect the dots between two different episodes. Yeah. And then uh, also, I think in some parts of below I-80, I've been hearing about some uh, slug injury to early vegetative corn as well. So there's a few potential suspects out there. Um, and you're right, it's sometimes hard to, to know what the pest might be unless you, you see the, the, the pest itself. But um, if you're seeing missing plants, wilted, dead, chopped up plants, you might have to dig within that furrow to maybe find what's causing that injury. But we didn't bring Ashley on here just to talk about critters in the soil. Oh no, she knows she's, much more than that. Hey, dig this, Erin. What? She's got more depth than that. <laughs> soil depth? More than, I'm talking metaphorical depth. Okay. 
but depth that is related to topics we like to talk about on the Soybean Pass podcast. Yeah. You gave Ashley a specific task? I gave her so many tasks, yes, but a few specific ones that we're going to talk let's about the, today. Let's talk about the big one. Okay. Is this the big one? Uh, or at least the one we're going to talk about has got to be the big one. Okay. So, Ashley, tell us what you're doing with regard to mapping insects that are pests, corn <laughs> and soybean. Yeah, I guess it's a little more than mapping. But um, so one of my major duties, I suppose, um, in this new position is that I coordinate the Iowa Moth Trapping Network. And I've actually been helping with this for a few years. Um, and before that, Adam Sisson was helping me. And before that, I think there were some other people helping. So I'm not 100% sure how long this project has been going on, but I have data back to 2010. Um, so what we trap for in this moth trapping network is migratory moths that come up from southern states with spring storms. And specifically, we have been trapping for black cutworm and true armyworm. So black cutworm is a really long-standing project. Um, we have data, like I said, back to 2010 for that. But true armyworm, I think, was added only in 2016. And so our main goal with this is to monitor the activity of migratory moths as they move into the state and through the state, and then help provide scouting and treatment windows for farmers and agronomists and crop consultants for um, corn specifically, but also soybean. Um, so this year was kind of exciting. We had 36 cooperators around the state and they set up 39 trap sites. And at each one of those sites, there was a black cutworm and a true armyworm trap. And then- hey, Ashley? Yeah. What's a site? Um, it's just a, a location they could choose it, it's usually next to like a cornfield or something like that where moths would be active. Okay. And so they just they just established these traps. They're wing style pheromone traps, um, and the, so they established those in April. So we usually start this on April first, and then they will trap through May thirty first. So we're getting toward the end of our trapping season. Um, but we, we were pretty fortunate this year that uh, we had 34 counties represented and it was all over the state. So we got a really good sense of moth activity in Iowa this year. Um, how active were the moths? Um, so I've been posting weekly updates on the integrated crop management blog. Um, but I would say they were a, a lot more active than in the past two years that I've been doing this network. I can't speak to previous years, but um, they were pretty active. We got a lot of moths um, over the last few weeks, and there were a few significant flights of black cutworm from the last week of April to mid-May. And so a significant flight of black cutworm is when someone would catch a total of eight or more moths in a wing style pheromone trap over two consecutive nights. So one location would capture eight or more over two, two sampling periods, two, two nights, which are how far apart are those two nights? It just 
consecutive. So it has to be back to back, back to back nights. Okay. So what would that mean for that, that field? So from the date when those significant flights occur, we can predict when black cutworm might be at the cutting stage. So 300 degree days from the date of the significant flight would be what we would call a predicted cutting date. And I think that's when they're in their first larval stage. Um, so it and, by, and by cutting, you mean cutting uh, corn, right? Cutting, yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, that would be when we would estimate that they would cut corn plants. Um, we don't have that threshold for true armyworm. Um, so we just use the moth captures um, that we get and report them so that farmers can be aware of where they are. But you asked what that would mean for a specific field. And I think it doesn't necessarily mean that the field where those traps were placed would have significant cutting. I, I just think of it as um, maybe that area would be more at risk. So it, do, it doesn't necessarily mean anything for the farmer that placed the trap, but just it would be something to be aware of in that area because moths would be laying eggs in that area. So um, if I'm a farmer now and I'm checking your blog to see the um, currents of these moths, whether a significant flight happened or significant capture from a flight happened, uh, what do I do with that information? Do I go out into the field now? I should be scouting those fields to see if there's evidence of the with the cutworm in that field? Yes. So we use those cutting dates for corn that we predict to try to give people a scouting window um, to go out and look for that damage and then um, and then from there make treatment decisions. Yeah, so oftentimes farmers would be making or assessing stand count to make sure that, you know, that the final stand count is, is where they want it to be. And if they're in there and they're noticing cut plants or they even happen to see uh, the caterpillars themselves, it can help make treatment decisions. And cutworms are not the only insect you're monitoring in those traps, right? No, we are also monitoring true armyworm. More of a, a leaf feeder than a corn stock cutter. Yeah. So you would be looking for some different injury symptoms. And that one this year you haven't seen very much of. True armyworm? Um, we've actually caught a lot of true armyworm moths. So Should I be nervous? Now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily think you should be nervous, but you should just be aware. Um, and if there are, are a lot of captures in your area, which you could find on those maps that are generated, uh, back to what you're telling me, I, I have a mapping um, project that I'm working on. So we are generating maps for people so that they can see where in the state these captures are occurring. And then if it's somewhat close to them, it's just more, for true armyworm, it's more of a, hey, we've caught a lot of moths. Maybe you should scout your field because you might see um, true armyworm out there. That's fantastic. 
So you got moth traps, you got the moths coming in, you're making maps from that. All of that's available publicly. Is that in real time or does that take some time for you to go through the traps and analyze the data and post up? How quickly can you get that information out to our listener? So currently, uh, what I've been doing takes me a lot of time because um, cooperators don't always get the data in right away. So I wait a few days to report the captures on the blog. Um, and it takes me a bit of time. You know, I have to gather the data. I report the weekly total for each trap. Um, so people could find that on the maps and I have to put it all into ArcGIS, you know, um, make the maps look really nice. But some exciting new things are happening. Exciting, year. exciting, yeah. breaking, breaking news. <laughs> I, know it, I know it's messing with our sound quality, but this is exciting. All right, yeah. bring it out. So we're really excited about it. Um, we partnered with EDD Maps and their Ag Pest Monitor feature to have our cooperators input their data into this Ag Pest Monitor, which is just part of EDD Maps. And from there, they, they haven't set up all of the mapping features just yet, but in the future, we will have maps that will be generated in real time from... Real time, real time. <laughs> from the uh, data that our cooperators are putting in. So we're really excited about that. It's not up and running just yet. They're still working on all of the logistics behind the scenes, but this is also... Um, more of a regional thing because Illinois is also involved in this and you could, our mapping features are linked. So when you look at the Iowa map, you'll also be able to see what's happening in Illinois. And that's kind of exciting because normally mods are showing up in Illinois before they show up here. So you could okay. track how that's moving. Is there a hope or a goal of making this nationwide? Um, I think, at least a lot of the Midwest states might eventually be part of this. And I know that the, the leaders of EDD maps are really hoping to get like Missouri and maybe Minnesota involved. Yeah. yeah. We have more shout, out to, shout out to Joe LaForest, who's been really working and putting in a lot of extra hours to get us and Illinois set up this year. So thanks, Joe. Hey, I don't want to tell Joe what to do here, but what? you're going to tell him what to do. I'm not going to tell. No, no, no. This is this is free advice. This is free advice. You don't have to pay me for this one. I'm just wondering if uh, he could get some southern state participation, because my understanding of these moths is they're coming up from the south. They're migrating up mm -hmm. from uh, the southeast, maybe a little bit of the southwest. And what Ashley just pointed out, I thought was really insightful. Not a lot of, I don't know how many farmers in Iowa also have land in Illinois, maybe, but that anticipatory data, you start to see moths in Illinois, that would give you a leg up on when they might be coming into Iowa. And it sounds like timing is essential with this, with, with these issues, right? And you're doing a great job getting that information from the traps into the maps, into the web, um, so that farmers can see this stuff. But... You could imagine you could have even more of um, of a, uh, a head start if you had that data from Illinois. Well, heck, what if you had it from, say, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, 
where or maybe Texas, where a lot of these originate. So again, not telling you what to do, and not my job. Just you know, thinking big picture here. That's what we do on the Soybean Pest Podcast. Think big. Yeah. yeah, I think it'd be great to get more states involved. Also, increasing the number of cooperators within our states is also a goal to get just a better resolution throughout the state. Would be awesome. Ashley's awesome. What other awesomeness are you doing, Ashley? There's a new project. Do you want to talk about our new network? Yeah, another new and exciting thing that's happening with us this year is um, this year we are going to try to monitor around the state for corn rootworm. Rootworms? That's not a soybean pest. What? Yeah, we're not talking about a lot of soybean pests today. Sorry about that, but still important. Um, and I got to rethink Ashley as a guest. <laughs> we got to get we got to get better booking. Yeah, I'm trying to give you a bigger picture. Oh, oh, well played, Ashley. Well played. Corn as well. <laughs> so um, this is a little different than our moth trapping network, right? Because moths are migratory. Corn rootworm overwinters here, so um, it's it's a bit more difficult to make generalized. Um, conclusions from any data that we would capture using these yellow sticky traps. Um, but we're hoping maybe to use this network, uh, get some cooperators around the state and use this network to kind of assess how populations might be changing around the state, like ratio of westerns to northerns, things like that, but also get sticky cards in the hands of farmers, agronomists, co-op, um, people who might not know what's happening out in their cornfield, um, whether they put it in a conventional field or a non-BT field or a BT field or something like that, um, just just so that they have an idea of what's happening in their field and then they could be more aware, make treatment decisions based on what they might find. Hey, I love yellow sticky cards those yellow sticky traps that you're talking about? It might be because you don't have long hair. <laughs> oh, oh my. All right. All right. You know what? This is, this is a topic that's not suitable for a podcast because one, she called me out on my hair. Aaron, what, two weeks ago said I have a ponytail now. All right. So oh, that's true. Check oh. yourself on that one. And, I forgot about the ponytail. Yeah. I yeah. didn't. And don't ever, <laughs> never forget. I hate sticky cards. It's like, second level of uh, hell for me is to swap out those cards. I, I spent hours, nay, days, weeks going through sticky cards as a graduate student mm. back when I was doing rootworm research. And we were using them back in the day to estimate the abundance of adult rootworms to give us some idea of how well uh, crop rotation or in soil insecticides worked in that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were also interested in whether there was what we called rotation-resistant rootworms present. Those rootworms that, western corn rootworms, that would lay their eggs in soybeans and then pop up in a cornfield the next year when a farmer rotated. Are those some of the types of questions you're going to hope to answer with these sticky cards? Yeah, those would be more farmer and field specific, but... Yes, definitely. We're hoping to get a wide range of kind of field histories. So like 
maybe continuous corn versus rotated corn and um, different kinds of hybrids that people plant. Um, we're just trying to catch a range of what's going on. And um, yeah, it's really up to the farmer to decide where they want to put it. So I, I could even imagine if somebody was interested in seeing if they had rotation resistance, maybe they would want to put it in a soybean field or something. Although maybe that's not a definitive, uh, um, it might not be definitive if you catch adults on sticky cards and rootworms that you might have rotation resistance, but perhaps people want to try and see um, that sort of thing. So maybe they're not even putting them in corn, but um, we're kind of leaving it up to what the cooperators want to also find out about their fields. Sure. And this is just starting, right? So this is a program that's going to grow. Are you looking for volunteers? Can our listener uh, participate in this? Yes, absolutely. Um, we just opened up the call for cooperators yesterday. Um, so yesterday being May 20, May 21st? First, first. Yeah, okay. Yep. So um, we, we are just asking for people to send us a quick email stating that they're interested. Um, and you can include your mailing address if you want the traps. And the email address for that would be bugtraps at iastate.edu. So it's awesome. a simple email to remember. Um, but yes, if, if a listener is interested, please send us an email. We are looking for cooperators of, of all kinds. Throughout the state of Iowa. Throughout the state of Iowa. Yeah. And the, and these would be cooperators that have access to corn and soybean fields mm -hmm. that would put these yellow sticky traps out. I mean, preferably corn. Um, sure. And and just to follow up with what Ashley said, we we had a conversation with our corn rootwormologist, Dr. Aaron Gassman, about the maybe the practicality or the usefulness of this trapping network, and he wanted to stress to us and all of our cooperators that it's not necessarily um, to be used as a predictive nature um, because it is more local movement within fields or between neighboring fields. So it's it's a little bit different utility than our black cutworm and armyworm network where we have the migratory movement. But it does get you out in the field assessing, you know, do I have just a few rootworms or do I have so many rootworms that I need like a face mask? You know, it, it can help make some management decisions for that field next year. We're not really sure the value uh, on a statewide level of this trapping network yet, unless we uh, really get a lot of participation from people, but it largely depends on field history and some of the hybrid selections you're making. So if nothing else, it just kind of increases the awareness about pest activity in the field. So the more you know, the more you That's know. Right. That's right. Yeah. And the do, more... Do, do, do. And the more participants you have, the more data you're going to get and the uh, sort of the more um, insight you can get into the this pest. And when we say pest, we're talking about both northern and western corn rootworms here. That's right. So that's, yeah, that's a value to farmers who might have to think about issues going forward with regard to rotation resistance because both of them have the capacity to overcome root uh, rotation just in different ways. In Iowa, yes. Yep. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, I wish you good luck. And I got to say, every time you put a trap out like that, you're going to catch other things. And I can imagine other applied entomologists might be interested in the stuff that you find on, you find on those traps. So 
who knows, maybe we could extrapolate from that and learn a little bit more about what's going on out there. Anything else you want to plug, Ashley, Aaron? I think that's enough plugging for this week. We're doing so a Ashley's, lot of things here. Ashley's, yeah, uh, beyond the kind of science and, and data collecting, Ashley's got a, a public face. Yeah. She'll be doing some programming. Maybe yes. we could just give us a, a hint or a tease of what kind of programming, even in this pandemic, you, you all might be doing this summer. Well, Ashley's been really active. It's only been, what, five months since your official start date. But uh, as she mentioned, posting a lot of updates of pest activity on ICM News and ICM blogs. So you'll see some written content. She also has, uh, it's an uptick in activity with her Twitter account, Ashley N underscore Dean. Yes, correct. Okay. Okay, so you'll see her on Twitter, and and we're hopefully going to generate some uh, some tweets about pest activity, kind of real time. And then, I mean, we had planned for field days and that kind of stuff this summer, but that's been we're going to pivot. And we've uh, participated in a webinar last week that was very popular, and so there might be more of the virtual type extension going on for the next foreseeable future, next couple months. Yeah, so even though the pandemic is affecting what we can do face-to-face, extensions are not going away. Mm -hmm. Extensions for life. Yeah, and and in the past, she's helped out with some agronomy undergrad training, and so I I expect that to continue. So that's sort of like getting practical information to agronomy students, and that will continue. And who knows? I mean, this is just the first year. I don't want to pile too much on her plate, but we'll see where it goes from there with extension. Okay. So have we done that? Have we wrapped up our special yeah. guest? Yeah. And Thanks, we'll probably Ashley. have you back on, Ashley, because you're a font of information. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I'd be it's happy to bad. come back. <laughs> All right. All right. So um, should we wrap up with a quick insect trivia? A fun insect trivia? Well, that's to be determined. Okay. Um, so I just Bit. introduced... Fit, fit for our, our listener. Ashley, this is where I ask a question, and usually it's to Aaron, but not I never know the answer. Yeah. Well, you do. It just, you know, it's trivia. Um, but I've been trying uh, to get it more in line with the topic of the podcast and sometimes maybe even the topic of the day. All right. So I, I think I got one that is consistent with some of the stuff we've talked about today, Ashley. So here's the format. I'm going to start with uh, a very vague clue. Okay. And you will, you both can respond. Do so in the chat. All right. And the way this is fun for our listener is I'm going to go through the clues and you can respond at any time in the chat with your answer. And we'll wait until the very end. And I'll, I'll announce if you got it right or wrong as we're doing this. Um, but this will allow us to go through all the clues to see um, if our listener can get to the answer as well. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to start real vague. I don't expect you to get it on the first one. But it'll get more and more specific and, and clearer as we go through. 
I'll see if I can do this one. This one, I think we only have three steps before you're going to get this. Um, okay. This is a, uh, a Latin term used to describe an insect stage. Again, go to this, the chat box to put your answer. All right. All right, you ready for another clue? Aaron, that's not correct. <laughs> that was a very, uh, that is not even Latin, Aaron, but okay. Okay, here's the next clue. Let's see if you can get it. Uh, this term was used by an automaker to describe a line of cars. I'm not much of a car guy, so I may have explained that incorrectly, but let's just say that this term has also been used, this word has also been used by Detroit. Okay, I'll give you another clue. They're, they're making strange faces. They're a little, you know, not, not, not quite getting it yet. Here, this is a little bit more uh, specific. This term translated into English uh, means gold. It means what? Gold. Gold, like the band of gold around your finger. Okay. All right. The reason this term was used is that this life stage for a certain, uh, certain order of insects, reads, it, it looks gold or golden. Oh, Aaron has has an answer. Should have done it privately because I think Ashley can see that now. All right, Ashley's nodding. All right, to our listener, this last, that is correct. Yeah, so to our listener, the last clue is, uh, this is another term for describing the pupil stage in Lepidoptera. Ashley, got it now? So the word I was looking for is chrysalis. So is that, when you say Lepidoptera, is that also moths would have a chrysalis? Okay, so um, my understanding, so this is where it gets interesting. The, the specific derivation of the, the term chrysalis was used for Lepidoptera, for, for butterflies that have that golden appearance in their pupil stage. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it has become a term that's used more generally for Lepidoptera. Okay. So it could be used for, for moths, but moths tend not to have that golden uh, coloration on their pupa. So I, I, I'm not much of a Lepidoptera, so I don't know how picky they get. Uh, all right, so a little, uh, a chance for uh, some bonus points, Aaron. What's the, uh, what's the, the uh, connection ring with of automobiles? Dots. Oh. I, I totally lost that. I didn't understand that connection at all. Chrysler. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, that was our fit. I, I don't think it was as fun as it's been in the past. No, <laughs> I think it, it was good. Ashley's face. I just, man, you totally stumped me. So it, I guess that was good as far as trivia goes. I am no good at trivia. I My hopes were like at zero yeah. for getting it for me. Yeah. What? Well, actually, you were first timer. You'll come back next time. We'll expect a little bit more train. Do a little practicing. Okay. All right. 
work, uh, watch some episodes of Jeopardy. I don't know. You know, do it. Do it. Uh, do what you need to do. You do you. All right. Are we done for this episode? Have we, have we knocked this one out of the park? I think number three is complete. Thanks again, ah, Ashley. So good. All right. So you know where to find us on the internet. Google us. Uh, send us a question or two. You can find me at O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L, at iastate.edu. Aaron is E-W-H. Dean, Ashley Dean. Well, you could send Ashley a question. Ashley, what's your email? A-D-E-A-N at iastate.edu. Dean. A-Dean at iastate.edu. All right. Uh, Stitcher iTunes, what else? Just our Google website, Play. Yep. Google Play. Uh, come, come at us, come get us. All right, that's enough for episode three. Thanks.